0: Ten to twenty years,
1: as far as we maybe haven't picked up on those early signs. It's a contributing factor to winning or losing, you know. And it was a 24-48 hour temporary fixing. You are you are testing your ability to shoot that horse to its and, and this question very much kind of like sits underneath that. So, um, so yeah. So then on top,
0: because um, you know, once I did that, man, there are so many benefits to doing it that I could not understand why I would
1: Welcome to the Lockdown Farriers podcast, the farrier learning resource where we deliver the skills, knowledge, and behaviors for today's modern professional working farrier. Welcome back to Lockdown Learning Podcast. It's been a while. So for the last week, I've um, had the pleasure of having a Tiffany Gardner, who's a farrier from the United States of America, works at the Pacific Coast Horseshoeing School, and currently is on the Edward Martin Cultural Exchange, which is where two members of the AFA, the American Farriers Association, and two members of the British Farriers and Blacksmiths Association, Basically, get to go to each other's respective country to suck in the shoeing and just staying with different families, different cultures, stuff like that. This has been running for a few years now. um, And, you know, many, many farriers out there have had the opportunity to travel, especially before setting up their businesses. Obviously, Tiffany came with me. A, because obviously being an educator, working at a shoeing school in the United States of America, um, got to come down to the Hereford School of Fairey hang out spend a few days there and um, and then we did some shoeing so before i packed her off onto a train sent her back up to scotland um we decided to sit down and have this chat before we go on to that um just reminder out there get your tickets for farrier focus 2023 taking place end of october last weekend of october at stoneleigh This year, I won't be involved podcasting from there, but my good friend Brian Mullins is coming over from Canada to try and get as much content possible from the competition to the speakers to the trade stand holders and just Farriers being there, being part of it. Big shout out to sponsors, Silverback Chaps. Big thanks to Danny Elliott for everything he does for the um, Farrier community and um, this podcast in particular. Check out the website, obviously Silverback Chaps. We're also doing a, a line of Farrier tools now, which look absolutely gorgeous. So check them out as well. You obviously did your podcast with Dr. Curtis. Mm-hmm. But that was in, when that, you were still stateside, yeah?
0: Yep. Yeah, so that was with Bob, and we did it at the hotel Simon was staying at, and uh, just general conversation on who, who we were a little bit and introduction a little bit and state of ferriery in the US.
1: Did he buy the drinks?
0: Uh, no drinks. That's unlike him. Yeah, mm. he, he did when we were at the bar. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, this was after so, so we migrated.
1: So just to recap then, how many years have you been showing now?
0: 16 years.
1: And how many years you've been working at the Pacific Coast Shoeing School?
0: Five years.
1: Five years. Um, What made you go from chewing horses to teaching at the school?
0: Uh, There's a series number of reasons. Um, Like all of us in shoeing, you, you start to hurt a little bit. Your body starts to say, do you really think you can do this for another 20, 30 years, the way you're doing it? Um, and then a couple influential people in my life had kinda suggested, Hey, have you ever thought about teaching? And so that there was the opportunity at Pacific Coast Worshiping School and then another opportunity, potential one in, in Texas, but that one never really came to fruition. So got yeah, two two people that had I allowed to speak into my life a little bit, encouraged me that direction. So with some life circumstance changing. Thought might as well try it and see see how it works and I I think
1: <clears throat> that happens to a lot of us in you know life has its ups and downs and its twists and turns and you change direction. One thing about this job is <clears throat> is very taxing on the body, um, regardless. And you know, there's no people who always say, "Oh, you know, if if you're above a certain height, you won't be able to shoe horses." I know some very tall farriers who have continued into later life and they're still quite flexible and stuff. And I know some short barriers who burnt out very, very quickly physically. Um, and very often you you do see people in schools who either physically can't do it anymore. Something's changed in their business. I mean, I've known people, um, for whatever reason, they lost a lot of work. And, you know, sometimes it's quite hard to pick up that amount of work to run a full business again and they go into it. Me personally, change of personal circumstances, big window in um in my diary, and I got asked by someone to go and help out and I've been there ever since, ten years later. Still there.
0: Yeah, but what I can say, even though we're not getting under the number of horses anymore, I from speaking from my experience, you say from your experience, but I'm a better farrier today than I was five years ago, even mm. though I haven't gotten under the number of horses.
1: Yeah. I mean, you. <clears throat> I should imagine you're the same as me where we learn every day because we're not actually sweating, huffing, puffing under horses. We actually get the privilege to stand back and watch other people make mistakes. Yeah. And and more importantly, we get to see people do stuff. we would not actually seen that or actually – we, sort of, we probably do do it, but we've never reflected on why we do it, and mm. yeah,
0: haven't thought about it that way, or not sure why I do it. And mm. then the students ask you, and you have to go back and think about it. And mm. sometimes you have to think of a quite think of an answer right on the spot, or sometimes you come back the next day.
1: Well, I think sometimes <clears throat> as a student, you get told by whoever your mentor or your boss or ATF or in this country, you get you get told to do certain things, and then We edit that out as well um we get we get um told and shown certain things, and it's not explained to us, and sometimes especially in the olden days you, you would maybe question it and get told to not question it. Mm. Um, because that's the way they were taught. And you end up with this sort of anecdotal-like passed down through generation to generation of farriers, and nobody still knows why we do it, mm. um, which, <clears throat> you know, uh, people ask you stuff. I mean, I, and again, this goes back to when I first started teaching, where people would be asking, why do you do that? And I'd be like, because I do.
0: I don't know. It's just what and you do. And, and it's not
1: – and then you go away with that, and you're like – why do I do that? Yeah. Do I actually even need to do that? Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely taught me a lot. It's um, you know, it's being in in that kind of learning environment <clears throat> is um, yeah, it, it's, it's a two way thing, isn't it? It's not just we're not just teaching them; they're teaching us. They just don't realise it, and mm-hmm. they're not getting paid to do it either. Exactly, <laughs> brilliant win <Win-win> win situation. <laughs> so. Um so you're currently on the cultural exchange Edward Martin cultural exchange. Yes. How long you been here now?
0: Oh, month one month and a half, one and a half months.
1: So you're halfway.
0: Halfway through. Yeah. And then it's it's flown by but at the same time it hasn't.
1: Well, I, I should should imagine, I mean <clears throat> many people have gone down this path over the years. Um and I again it depends on the personality some people absorb everything they see from the culture to the showing to e- different people running businesses different ways etc um and some people just they're just travelling you know um so i suppose if you are absorbing it which i think you are um it's you know it's going to it's
0: it is percolating mm. so uh, i I figured out that I'm a very reflective person. So I try to be in the moment while I'm with every family, um, just fit in, do whatever they're doing. I don't have an agenda at all except be here, be present, and be a part of their lives for however long I'm here. And then I was advised to take a journal and actually write in it. Even if it's just a little bit, but um, it's probably the first time in my life that I have actually followed that advice. Even though people have said, "Hey, journaling's really good for for as a good habit," and I've never really taken it up, but I might actually continue it when I get home because I there's no way I would remember everything that I have been doing, all the people I've gotten to meet if I hadn't taken short notes. Basically, just taking notes every day.
1: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean. I've, I've toyed with that over the years and um, when I have started it doesn't take a lot to get me to stop then you just get out of the habit and I think that's one of the things I do like about social media mm. I mean different people use social media differently I have all since using especially Facebook and Instagram all those years ago that's what it is for me It's it's my own yeah. recording device pictures I mean you don't put very often, you don't put, if you're going to put something on there, it's important to you. Mm. Uh, And it's something you want to remember. And you just flick through and you don't need to carry loads of hardback diaries and journals. And, but yeah, it's, um, but yeah, it's, it's really good to sort of look back and reflect. And especially when you're doing something this intense, because, you know, like I say, going through all these places, I mean, how many places, who, who have you been with thus far? You
0: so I started with Liam O'Hara, and he was in Milton Keynes, and I spent about a week and a half with him. And during that first week and a half, uh, it just so happened that he was going to be part of the Tour de Ferrier for the Ferriers Foundation uh, bike ride. And so he asked if I would join, and I tried biking it, and then my niece said, can't do it. But then I just uh, ended up in the support vehicles, which was actually awesome because then I got to – have conversations with people and I got to meet so many um on that on that first experience, so many mm. farriers that if I had just <coughs> gone place to place to place and not had exposure to the other farriers at an event, I wouldn't be probably wouldn't be sitting here with you at the moment, mm. Danny, what- because I wanted I I wanted to meet you, but I didn't know when or how or if that was going to happen
1: and it just happened to be in the support vehicle yeah there you
0: go. <laughs> yeah yeah
1: but it was it was a good crew on that it um was. supporters mm. and more importantly the peddlers um you know um no it was it was it was it was a good few days that was and yeah. obviously for a very important charity um but yeah it it was it, it that kind of thing opened doors i mean obviously. I'm about to drop you off at the station and sending you for your sins up to Scotland (laughs) um, to stay with Chris Carroll. Obviously, you met him. He was the event photographer and part time farrier. Um, But yeah, it's um, no, but it's good though because it's networking, isn't it? It is. Yeah. You know, spending those evenings in them hostels.
0: Mm.
1: It was great. Chewing the day over a beer, you know, it's all, it's it's, it's where it's, 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 I think. Again, we've always said about conferences and conventions and seminars and stuff, the education side of that, that happens in the bar Mm -hmm. when people are talking about, you know, the day-to-day stuff and what they've just listened to, you know. But
0: there was one distinct thing that was different on the Tour de Ferrier that I picked up was, you know, when you're at conferences, summits, contests, Everyone has their farrier mask on, farrier image and identity. Mm. Every, not everyone at the ride was a farrier, but no. they were involved in some way, form, or shape. And no one had, the, uh, no one had to put up a face or a front no. of this is who I am as a farrier. Yeah. I mean, we were, this is who I am as a person.
1: Tight, tight fit in lycra is all revealed really isn't it you know and maybe they reveal themselves a little bit too much some of the riders but yeah it's um but yeah it, it's funny you take farriers out of the farrier environment and we're just people mm. you know it's
0: really cool to see that yeah
1: no it, it's a good event you know um you know again one of the reasons i I refuse to wear lycra um <laughs> I did it once never again um but I, I will always go and support it because it's a great charity but it is one of those events where yet like you say they're not all farriers but there was a lot of farriers um and it was nice to, I mean I met farriers on that I like to think I know a lot of people but I met farriers there who've been chewing some time and i would never met them before mm. didn't even know their names mm. Um, You know, for such a small country, that's quite rare, really. Um, But, no, it was good. And where did you go from there, then? So that was your first stop.
0: That was my first stop. Then Liam dropped me off in Newmarket, and I stayed with Ed and um, and Lisa O'Shaughnessy and worked with Ed and Will um, in their practice. And I'd never been a part of the racing world, so it was really cool to see um, how they do it in Newmarket because there's no other place in the world that does it like New Market. No. And pretty spectacular. And um got to spend a day with Dr. Simon Curtis and he showed me the old forge at the racing National Racing Museum. And yep. uh, made a shoe, watched him work with a um an apprentice, and then he took me to Barry Saint Edwards. Edmonds.
1: Edmonds.
0: Then Dr. Curtis took me to Very Saint Edmunds and just really cool to walk around and and get told the history of it because and walk through it. You can read it in a book, but there's nothing like walking through the the history of a place. Yeah. Um,
1: well that's more than me and Brian Mullins got because when we went to visit him he sent us to the museum because he'd got a prior engagement but it turns out the museum was shut on that day oh no so we had to go and sit in a pub but oh well oh well (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a good day but again you know I think it's almost like if you if you think of the um, history of Newmarket, I think Simon is the curator of that music, mm. as in the whole town, because he knows everything. He knows everyone. He's been yeah. there a long, long time, and his sort of lineage goes back many, many, many years. Um, but he's he, you know it's very interesting. I mean, the two racehorse centres, if you like, in this country are Newmarket and Lambourn, but both those places are very, and the way they do <clears throat> do what they do is just very, very different. They're like. Not related whatsoever, mm. um, which is quite interesting. But Newmarket is a one of those places I've taken quite a few people there in the past because it's, you know it is such a centre of equine. I suppose a bit like your Kentucky.
0: Yes, but I actually haven't been to Kentucky to the, like the centre of the race world, so I don't know how it mm. all works in Kentucky. No, so I'll have to go. I'll have to go visit them. And ask, see. Ask
1: Helen. She's been. Yeah, <laughs> She's got loads of pictures. So, um, so. So, from the O'Shaughnesses... This episode is sponsored by Silverback Chaps. Silverback Chaps, they've got your back. Have you ever been curious about Silverbacks, but just don't know where to start? Check out the website and use the code LOCKDOWNPC, that's Lockdown PC, and get 10% off... Your first order, and this is across the whole range from chaps to caps, hats, tees, hoodies, and jackets. All designed for the work in Farrier by Farriers.
0: From there, I went to um, Stephen Britton and his wife, Lucy, and... It was really cool to spend time with them. Oh, I forgot to mention Will had been on the cultural exchange program to the U.S. Right. So it was cool to kind of debrief and see the differences in his experiences um, going to the U.S. And then Stephen Britton had also done the ex- cultural exchange program to the U.S. So those were really kind of neat connections to mm. to work with there.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and they – and. Again, it's it's the sharing of that experience and then that understanding, which uh, for those who haven't, don't have. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, yeah, I mean, you know, and already, I think every fairy you've mentioned, you know, they're all movers and shakers. They're they all, are either been on a journey or are currently on that journey to sort of to excel themselves. I mean, I know Liam not long ago passed his associate, Mm -hmm. um, Will and Ed, you know, just won last year, Stonely, you know, and they've, they've put so, I mean, the whole Irish team have put so much effort, you know, coming in that top five for so many years now. And to actually see him win it last year was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Steven's sort of on his fellowship journey at the moment, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I was <clears throat> with him doing the practical last year. No, early on this year, you know, and to see him excel over the and it, the journey he's been on over the last few years, um, it's been quite amazing, you know. He's really, really sort of you know, he's 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 not just He's hungry. He is hungry mm-hmm. and he's he's put the work in, you know, and yeah. Yeah, he's absolutely on point, which is really good to see. So where did okay. you go from?
0: From there? Uh, oh, another Stephen. <laughs> Went to visit Stephen Hill and his family.
1: Yeah, I apologize for that right now. Um, I'm only joking, Hilly. Love you, really.
0: <laughs> and that that really has been a an incredible week time-wise um, and experience-wise because... I got dropped off at Burley, um, the five-star Vintage Trials. And, I mean, isn't it Burley, Badminton, and is there one more event?
1: Not in this country. Not
0: in the country, yeah. So, <laughs> I, think, I
1: think the five stars are, <clears throat> I think there's Burley, Badminton in this country, Kentucky. Kentucky, relax. um Poe in France, and Le Moulin in Germany, I think. Yeah. But they're the, the big...
0: And Grand slam ones. Everyone wants to go to Burley and and experience it, and I got to experience it behind the scenes and um, sit there, watch the competitors prepare, whether it was for dressage or cross-country day or the show jumping day, and be there in case they needed something and um, have the conversations, go up and experience the shops and the social life uh, that all the spectators bring to Burley and just the amazing scenery mm. and... It is a beautiful place mm. there for sure. Yeah, and, um, and yeah. then and uh, going to work a couple days with Stephen and uh, Sam Green. Just they they do some excellent work on their horses, and same with everyone I've worked with on this trip have done really well, um, good quality, solid work on their horses, and um, the horses' feet tell the story. Yeah, so I. It doesn't matter what they tell me or how good they are. It's the, mm. the feet tell me the story.
1: Well, like, you know, and a lot of people say it's not about how they look when you clench them up. It's what they look like at the end of the cycle. Mm. That's that's the real story, it isn't is. it? You know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, and then you got lumbered with myself.
0: And then I get dropped off and spend spend a week and a little bit with you, Danny, and it's been, been great. It's been a different uh, – Different dynamic because up till now, every family I've been with has had children, which is great. Um, but honestly, I did need a little bit of a, a break mentally <laughs> <laughs> and I would have appreciated the time sleep. Sleep. Yes.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're beyond that child thing now. You know, we <laughs> just got a whippet who's barking in the background. Tension seeking whippet. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean the main reason obviously you came with me was obviously as an educator yourself was come to me for a few days get the weekend out of the way and then we were going to go off to the hereford school of farri and spend three days down there um obviously currently we've only we've got a block one just new starting um so they're just doing the basic shoemaking but i found it really interesting And it really, really hammered home when I showed you that presentation I'd got and then you showed me your version of it. And I think we were both kind of blown away. A, the bits each other had got, which we hadn't, Mm -hmm. but then we were still just, it was shoemaking, shoemaking, but the way we'd kind of presented it, if you like, was very, very similar. Yes. Um, Which, you know. It's
0: encouraging.
1: Yeah, it is. And, And I think that's the problem with what we do um obviously we're not we're not there for pats on the back we're there to go and do a job and that's to train the next generation mm. and give people a skill set um and try and sort of steer them to be professional farriers yes um and it's one of those jobs when there's something wrong we tend to get slammed for it but when it goes right they kind of qualify they graduate and there's no pat. On the, there's a pat, big pat on the back for them because they put the work in, but we just kind of, you
0: we're know, the that's support. Not, we're yeah, in the background,
1: yeah, and we, we're kind of like overlooked, and we we don't do it to have a pat on the back. We do it because it's our job, and we enjoy it, and we get satisfaction from seeing those people succeed. But in the same breath, it can be very, it's very easy to lose your way and become a bit disillusioned over a period of time
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, until you meet up with other educators who are like. That's brilliant. Or I do that. And mm-hmm. that's it's quite rare, <clears throat> which I found really, really um rewarding mm. having you down there. And you know, just it was that whole mindset and that sort of culture thing, you know, two different systems. Obviously, ours is all based on the regulation of four year apprenticeship, your course is a lot shorter and you've not got um regulation. But the actual crux, the basics of what we do, which is teaching them the basics to shoe horses to then go off and shoe horses and learn, you know, cause it is a lifelong learning, isn't it? Yes. Being a farrier. Um, you know, I found that very, very satisfying. It was, it was really, really good. Um, and you got to meet, uh, David Greenwood and Corrine, the registrars from the Bushwell <clears> company <throat> and the FRC.
0: I did. And that was actually really good to put a face to the name because I had had to communicate with them prior to coming over here. um, to get my farriers registration license, Yep. yep, I had to get that all squared away before I could come in and, and do this cultural exchange program, and then I did decide to apply for the cert uh, journeyman diploma. Had well, fast track, fast track thing. <clears throat> I believe that's yep. what it is. Yeah, so that I can in the future do more uh, more exams with the Worshipful Company of Farriers, and so <laughs> Korean and I had communicated.
1: So, are you throwing it down now that you, you're going to go on that <laughs> AWCF journey?
0: Down the road, yes. Good. So,
1: I mean, and I'm not being biased <clears throat> because I'm British, but I do That's think, and I don't care what, well, this is just my fault, but of all the exams in the whole world, I think the AWCF, even over the fellowship exam, is the tough one. You know, I think, I, think, I think the AW and the also oh, the AWCF and the FWCF are two different exams. Mm. You know, I mean, there's some things that interlinked, but the main part of the fellowship exam is physical and theoretical communications. Right. Whereas, as a skill test, I think the AWCF is definitely the ultimate. Okay, yeah. um, and I think anyone <clears throat> anyone who's ever been on that journey. Successful will probably say, Well, one thing I do hear a lot of people saying when they do finally pass it, or even on the journey if they failed it, to get there, that they turn around and say, Well, you know, I've been showing horses for 20 years and I've been showing horses with the handbrake on. Right. Because now I've got that confidence to actually go with my convictions. I've got that, I've got so much more in depth knowledge about what I'm doing and confidence. Mm. And I think that's the key word confidence. I think
0: so too. <laughs> That, that's really what I've seen because everyone so far I've been with has either been an AWCF or has done their fellowship or working towards it. And the difference in the confidence that these people have versus people who maybe haven't put themselves in the environment to take further exams or tests, Um, you see it with how they communicate with their clients, how they approach their horses um, that have something that deviates from just your standard shoeing. They're able to do it with confidence at the forge, confidence in communicating with their clients so that the clients understand why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the exams give you. And that's the value that you can pass on to your clients. I
1: bet you with the people you've seen thus far i bet you've talking about that client communication i bet you've seen a lot of differences in how different people tackle that
0: Mm. i have some of it comes down to just personality and each of us are different whether you really embrace that uh, interaction and and want to foster um foster a certain type and um Style of communication, you want to keep it via text only or phone calls or in person. Mm. Um, that's up to you, the individual, to decide. Um, but because we are in the service-based industry, the clients do expect communication. Mm. And yeah. so as long as however you've decided to communicate, you actually follow through and do communicate, then um, it's it's fine. It's right. Yeah. But...
1: I mean, I, th- I think that, again, one of the big changes in my lifetime has been, obviously, again, text messaging, social media. I think mean, text messaging only first started just about the time I qualified, to be fair. Okay. So, but again, not everyone was doing that. You know, people. And it were,
0: was probably where you had to pay per character and letter, yeah, so you kept absolutely. it short. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and you didn't have emojis back then. Right. Um, but. But, I mean, I remember when I first qualified, I had a landline telephone and an old-school answer machine. Mm. I mean, you'd have to come in at the end of the day and go for your answer phone messages, and you'd spend all evening on the phone. So in one way, it's got a lot more convenient, but… You You're only, accessible. You only had that one method of communication. I mean, I talk to some people, and they talk about the old, old days where people used to have to write letters mm. to their farrier.
0: Oh, Wow. Oh my goodness! Like, I know. I can't even really think, like, I, I imagine know.
1: that. Um, but again, ferries weren't travelling the distance that they perhaps mm. are now. They weren't so mobile. But if you were, yeah, the, people didn't even have telephones back then, mm. or if you did, they had to go to the phone box to phone the ferry. You know, it's like yeah. it's hard to believe. But now we've got WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, Facebook, and there's all these emails and just always different. Sometimes it's hard to keep a track for some of these guys. Um, I'm okay because I don't do a lot anymore. I yeah, only okay. shoot two days a week, and the, the clientele I've got—I've been shooting a long time, as you saw. And you know, they know that if they send a text message and I don't get back for a couple of days, they will eventually. Mm-hmm. But I've obviously I'm somewhere, or you know what I mean. Yeah. We have that kind of understand, which is yeah. really, really important. But
0: yeah, I think I think that comes down to explaining and, and making sure that your clients know what they can expect from you. Yeah. So if you outline that in your, I guess, client introduction, or if I'm taking on a new client, this is what you will and can expect from me. Mm. Then uh, it sets up a positive client farrier relationship down the line. But if exactly. you don't set those boundaries and clear expectations, then it's going to, that's where you're going to fight to keep control of your client, yeah, exactly. of your um client base.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean I don't think I've ever had to ghost a client. Mm. You know, whereas I always sort of say to them, you know, if if you text me and um I'm, and I don't respond it's probably cuz I was in the middle of doing something and then didn't have the opportunity to respond, then I forgot.
0: Mhm.
1: I forgot and just didn't get back to you. So if you don't hear anything Text again. I'll, I'll never get, you know, I'll never get um, cross with clients because they have to send me several texts to get a response, but they just got unlucky.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like my mind was on other things at the time, <laughs> you know, which is the difficulty. I mean, because you still part-time shoe on your own as I well. I do, yeah. And balancing that, sometimes it can be tricky. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, the, the positive gains from that, um, you know, I'm, I remember when I was full-time shoeing for real weeks where you just for whatever reason you're just sick to death of your life clients whatever whereas we get the luxury really to split that up don't we mm-hmm. you know i always say to people monday tuesday wednesday i teach clients i uh, teach students come wednesday afternoon i'm sick to death of students and then <laughs> thursday friday by the time i get to saturday i'm sick to death of female horse owners but um <laughs> yeah you know, but it, it it to split it up is it, a it lot is more nice. yeah it is nice and yeah. this last 10 years working like that i think i've enjoyed far, farry probably more than i ever mm. have done really
0: yeah my my enjoyment has gone up 100% for sure yeah um my my very few clients that i work with um they either haul into the school on a monday or I take care of them on a Friday morning or Saturday, Sunday. So those are my only availabilities. And if there's a problem, I won't necessarily be able to get to you. But we outline that from the get-go. And mm-hmm. if that doesn't work for them, then I pass them along to someone else. Yeah. And that's how it works for me.
1: So just moving on to the education side, um, obviously we were both – do the same thing but for very different systems mm-hmm. what would you say were the most common problems you find with students you know coming into this trade profession whatever you want to call it you know coming sort of starting from ground zero and sort of, so how long's your course is normally our
0: course is eight weeks
1: what what are the sort of um the common stumbling blocks sort of with them do you find
0: um, I think common stumbling blocks, one could be physically, because um, our job is so physical. Um, a lot of us mentally want to be able to do it and mentally can do it. But then I, what I see is frustration, uh, frustration with themselves because they tire too quickly because they haven't developed the muscle, muscles and strength to do, um, more than a set. Yeah, of shoes, or uh, they develop blisters. They develop um, sore backs, sore muscles, and then they just get frustrated with themselves, and it de- develops this downward spiral of negative negativity. That I can't do it. Mm. So I think fighting that a little bit is a is a big roadblock and stumbling stumbling block. Um, and then something that that we work with and try and. I mean, teaching a, a student to see shapes is very, very difficult. And yeah. that was something that it didn't matter if we were in the U.S. or here. I saw it. Um, students will try and create a certain shape that they think the shoe should be. Yeah. And um, the if you had them draw it, they would draw the same shape that they end up making at the anvil. Mm-hmm but that's not necessarily what the foot is.
1: Yeah. I think, and that's something I think we see the world over. We certainly see it a lot. I mean, obviously our program's four years long. The strength thing, we don't really have that problem because from a college perspective, the first sort of like seven weeks they spend with us is spread over a year. Mm -hmm. So the moment they start their apprenticeship, you know, no one gets chucked straight under a horse and is expected to shoe it. You know, they'll be pulling shoes, cleaning out feet, clenching up. Mm-hmm. It's a progressive thing, and this is why we do it over four years. It's all about progression. Um, we at college won't chuck them under horses for live horse shoeing to block free. so that's sort of like beginning of second year. So by that point, they have built up the muscle memory. Right. Because, and I think... I've seen some very, very strong people get under horses to pull a shoe off and they just fall over and mm-hmm. they get disco leg. <laughs> they start shaking like Elvis. Yeah. and But the, it, I think our muscles have to kind of change shape.
0: They do. Yeah. Yeah. We're athletes when we get under horses. Yeah. And yeah. there's physically fit as an athlete, like running, swimming, bicy- bicycling, whatever. But then they're shoeing shape, Mm. and they're totally different things.
1: Just a quick one on: Have you personally found, with obviously you're doing what I'm doing, have you found a difference in that spending shoeing less horses and actually spending more time teaching? Yes. Because I, I mean, obviously I've hit a certain point of of, uh, life where things go downhill very quickly. But that's the one thing I've noticed and the real difference and what i really noticed it, when i went from teaching two days a week and shooing three days to doing it the other way mm. and doing three days and only shooing two
0: yeah definitely i needed to give my body a break to kind of rebuild and and restrengthen what was really weak and creating dysfunction but i've lost um when i get fatigued get fatigued um i mm. i yeah, fatigue comes quickly, and then you lose the quality yeah. once fatigue sets yeah, in. Absolutely. So even if my brain's like, I want to do four horses a day, there's mm-hmm. no way that I can keep the quality um, yeah. of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and I, and I, if if I'm really, really honest with myself, I started to know that in my finished jobs, you mm. put the feet down. Yep. You know, I was putting more hoof oil on. Mm used to <laughs> but I mean, not, I mean not i mean mechanically everything's fine it's yep. just that finish and that kind of it, ping, yeah but i brought an e-bike now i'm gonna get fit again <laughs> yeah um,
0: i went I've, I've got a rowing machine and I've, I've got goals and stuff as well so yeah
1: it, it That. so we've just got to work harder mm-hmm. to be able to work harder exactly exactly um, that's a t-shirt isn't it? <laughs> i like it yeah um <laughs> I think over this last week, we probably created quite a few good T-shirts. We should start business. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, the shape thing. But, again, that's the same the world over, I think. And I I don't know what it is. But I find with a lot of students, whether they've got the hand-eye skill or not, they seem to have this preconceived idea in their head. Now, whether that's because we're so used to machine-made or as you call them, keg shoes. Mm. And let's face it, there's a lot of good machine-made keg shoes out there now, which do have a good shape for a a sort of intermediate ideal foot, but there's not so many intermediate ideal feet out there, so we have to do something with that. And if we're making handmade shoes for that foot, the obvious way is to build that shape. Um, But it's something we find very difficult. and I, I sometimes feel that... Over the years, that may have been hampered as well with some of the things you do see on social media. Social media has been great, it's brought this global farrier community together. You know, I'm watching what people are making in Brazil, going, Wow, that's amazing! Yeah, I'm watching people from Spain. I mean, you know, them two guys have just gone to um, Calgary to the world champs and absolutely romped amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I met them a few years ago, and they blew my mind then. But it's only a matter of time before Spain's got a world champion. I do believe that. <laughs> um, but, again, it's being able to see them shapes and actually make the shoe to conform to that, or the specimen shoe. Because as soon as you start imposing that preconceived shape in your head,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I do think that sometimes with we do see a lot of nice shoes on social media, and they're all like um, glamour models, you know, they're all over exaggerated mm-hmm. with massive toes, massive Calkins, and big outside heels. And, and actually, that's just a shoe, and th- there's not any functionality in that. And people get hooked up. I mean, my biggest thing at college is students come in and they're just obsessed how many inches to bump into something. And it's like, there's a couple of things you're making it harder to forge that shape because you've now got a really thick bit somewhere
0: mm-hmm.
1: um you're using a lot more steel and put yourself in an exam or a competition environment when the pressure's on you and things go wrong you you you're making it more over complicated than it actually needs to be um but it they think that's more important than the actual shape itself and the functionality of it and the nail placement and stuff like that, which that's the biggest thing I I tend to fight against, especially um, years two to three Mm. in our system. But they get a bit obsessive with stuff.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you've just been talking about shoe shape, but then I think that you have to look beyond that and think, well, what about the foot shape of the trim mm-hmm. itself? Yeah. So, as you were talking, I was kind of thinking about <clears throat> the students and apprentices as they're if they don't have um, a good mentor ATF, most likely the horses that they're seeing are the horses that don't have a consistent farrier, and so the shapes of the feet that they see are going to be distorted. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to see what the sh- true shape of that foot hoof capsule and the coffin bone is. And so if that those are the feet that they're seeing. It's difficult for them to start to see the symmetry or asymmetry or different arcs and curves that are actually in the foot and the trim itself. And the, and what they should be trying to achieve with the trim before they covered up with the shoe. Mm. And then you have, the keg shoes or machine-made shoes that have this specific shape, and so if they're limited on their experience, they're going to say, "Okay, this is this factory keg shoe is what should what I should make the foot shape be," which is the complete opposite mm. opposite thing. Um, and it's only until your trim, it's only when your trimming improves that usually your shoe shaping and end product improves
1: mm. I mean that, and I know on that subject I mean I, have, I've yeah, i had so many conversations over the years about shoemaking and should we still be doing it mm. you know certainly as part of our apprenticeship and yes it is very time consuming mm. it can cost a lot of money you know coke still and time um, but you see and again stuff you see on social media you some of the countries you see where there is no shoemaking, um, or it's certainly been forgotten about, and they are just fitting machine-made shoes to horse's feet, and they've not got them forging skills, it kind of reflects in what you see in their fit.
0: Yep, for sure.
1: You see a lot of quarters missed, you see a lot of, um, you know, very...
0: Heels that don't fit the yeah. foot shape.
1: And, and you see that thing where you, they show you the, like, the solar view, and what's on the bottom and you think oh that looks quite a nice shape and then you see it on the ground because people put multiple angles on and you think yeah doesn't fit the quarters doesn't fit this doesn't fit that stuck on the end of the foot mm-hmm. stuck underneath too much and you're like well okay it tells a different story um so it's all smoke and mirrors but you definitely do see i mean if you can shape if you can shape if you can see a shape you've you can see it in the shoe, you can see it in the foot, and that just makes fitting that much easier. Yes. You know? Um, and again, the other change with that nowadays is, again, the quality of the machine-made shoe and the fact that we're all driving around with big liniatures in the back of our van. <laughs> so it's it's kind of like... I think, in fairness, when I was younger and people were, certainly in this country, you know, I think was shot in concave, not far off Hunter-style shoeing, um, what people were doing was they were nearly fit in the shoe then if there was any overhang they'd rasp that off off the foot Mm. which is bad Mm -hmm. and you used to get some quite sort of like 50 pence piece hexagonal feet and stuff like that whereas now you go up a shoe and then
0: grind it grind it
1: to fit fit, Mm -hmm. which you know i think long term and i think sarah brown wrote an article in the Forge magazine a few years back now, and it it was something about ugly shoes make pretty feet. Mm. And, like, you know, if you've got a horrible-shaped foot and you fit that shape, which it might not be pleasing on the eye, but that foot's going to come back a lot stronger, whereas if you just go up a size shoe and fit around that horrible shape and nail it up and linish it, then the foot does not get the strength back into it. It just spreads out.
0: It does, yeah. And usually... When you're just grinding to fit, it's the nail hole placement that that causes the damage. I yeah, think absolutely. because you're not nailing into the white line, and no. then you've got walls that start crumbling and falling apart, yeah. and then it just is a vicious cycle.
1: It is. It is. Um, what was I was going to say, thought something to say on that, and I can't remember what it was. But no, yeah. I mean, the shape. Is there anything else you? struggle with with your students hmm. what about the selection process have they got to have any qualifications before they
0: not for our school i know there's a couple schools that um do have either an interview or or things you have to apply um for us we don't um part of that is we think i mean everyone has the right to choose what they want to do and the right to their um, choice in their education. Some people come through and do our course because they just enjoy learning, mm. and they they want to learn a new skill. Not that they are actually going to be professional farriers down the line. And it took me about a year and a half to accept that not every student that comes through our program is there to build a professional business mm. afterwards. And so my goal for every student is to meet meet them where they're at. Um, whether they come in green as can be, or with prior experience, um, we give them the opportunity to excel. Um, if at the end of our first week of school, they think, oh, I've made a complete mistake and that that's kind of our, our trial process or our, our entrance ex- our let's see if they if they want to do this, um, and see if we can teach them because we've certainly, um, sent students away and given them, given them their money back because they were not teachable. We weren't able to, um, to work with them. They didn't have physical requirements or, um, were, uh, what else? Oh, they just thought, Oh, I made a mistake. Yeah. So, um, we give them their money back. No problem. No big deal. You gave it a try. Thank you for giving it a try and we'll see you down the road. Yeah. But it's, the The worst thing is is ke- keeping a group of students where one or two people don't legitimately want to be there yeah. because <laughs> shoeing horses is difficult, and it is a post um post primary secondary education um course, and so it's a voluntary course, so each mm. student's coming through by their own will, so yeah. if they've already made up in their mind, oh, I really don't like this um It just kind of puts a damper on the whole course, the Mm. whole program, the social (laughs) dynamic of the group. And I think that's really precious to try and preserve through a a program or a whole apprenticeship for you guys. Um, One of the really cool things I've noticed with your program, the apprenticeship program, is students and apprentices start together and they finish relatively in the same group. And Mm. so they develop this camaraderie and they've all been through the same thing and they develop... Hopefully, friendships—at least relationships—they that will carry them through their career. Yeah, and it's really cool to see that. Yeah,
1: I mean, with that, I mean, you, you, do. I mean, I know people sort of my age, and you know, they they still talk to the people they went through training with. I mean, it's funny you going to Chris for me. I mean, like me and Chris, we went through the system, albeit in the army. Mm-hmm. I'll get some flack for that because I've mentioned the army and there's certain people. <laughs> Actually, it's a sport. This is only
0: your first time mentioning the army. Uh,
1: exactly. I'd just like to mention did- <laughs> that. But there are people, it's a sport with them, and then they will send me an Instagram message saying how many times I mentioned the army in each <laughs> podcast. Um Ben Benson's the worst one for it. Um just like to say. Um but no, it's it's um with our system, and, and we discussed this last week, but you know, they've got to have a certain amount of academic qualifications to get in, so that's five level. Um, two qualifications: maths, English, and Free sciences is the new way now. Um, but again, just because they did really well at um, compulsory education doesn't mean they're entering this. You know, and I think on the whole, we do very well in the sense <clears throat> the people who want to be farriers they kind of get in the program and they they do it. Some people, um, they we haven't got a massive dropout rate, but we have got a dropout rate. And I think some people think of it as a good idea. They either saw it or their mum's got a horse mm. and the mum went, oh, you can make a lot of money doing that because they they feel that they're paying a lot of money every six weeks for something. Well, I, you know, we've had that discussion about um, UK and US prices and <laughs> let's not even go yeah. there because yep. I'm feeling quite positive at the moment. Um <laughs> But they come in the program, and I actually don't realize, you know, that guy's not just showing his mum's horse every day. He's probably showing about another six or seven mum's right. horses. And it is hard work. And And a lot of apprentices don't realize that the day they qualify is when the hard work really starts, because you are responsible and the buck stops with you as well. So you've got all the mental stress. Mm-hmm. You're not being told what to do anymore. Um, but one thing I do find is you you see some students where they get halfway through third year and they kind of you can kind of see it but they have kind of they've made a bad life choice oh. but they're too far in to change it and you know they're still there shoeing horses 10 20 years later and they're, they're still they should have jumped ship or they should have even just qualified they've got a qualification they can go back to if they want it they can't take that qualification off you mm-hmm. and maybe if you don't enjoy your job, then maybe do something else, you know. But because we are, I think we have this mindset where, because it is hard apprenticeship and it's four years long, because you put yourself through all that suck, as you say, <laughs> then you have going to have to, you, you've got to do it. You can't turn back. Yeah. But you can, you, you can, can change, you know. It's, um, there's other ways, you know. Yeah. You can go part time, you can go full time, something else. You can, there's options out there. Yeah. You don't you- have to become bitter and sad and depressed because you made a bad choice when you were 17, 16 years mm. old.
0: You can't, your education is something no one can take from you. No. And education opens so many doors. So yeah. whether you um, your education is in inferior and you have that qualification, um, definitely if you're thinking, I don't have the passion for it, maybe. Look at a different opportunity. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when when you're teaching your place, I mean, how many students do you tend to have on a course?
0: Uh, A good size class is twelve to fifteen people,
1: right? And um, obviously, they're together for eight weeks. Yes. Do they? Do you find they form that group dynamic easily, or or do, do they end up because it's a short course, they end up a bit scattered or
0: I think it gets a little scattered. Um, We typically have one really cohesive group per year. Right. But then we have four groups that have a just scattered dynamic. I think scattered Mm -hmm. is a good word for it. They don't really understand why they're there. They can't focus. I mean, eight weeks is a really short time, Mm -hmm. and you have to be mentally um, invested 100% of the time for that eight weeks. And you can get a lot out of it if you take that mindset to it. Mm. But if you come in and you're you're stretched because of life circumstances, because let's face it, you can't just abandon your life for eight weeks and pretend nothing else exists, unless you're fresh and you have no other responsibilities. But we have people who are dads moms um they have a second job on the evenings or the weekends they still have to function outside of life and mm-hmm. um so this yeah the the scattered thing is is a real thing
1: yeah i mean and again it's it's we're as random as you for that i mean i can think over the years my favorite i mean like a parent you should have a favorite child but <laughs> i've got favorite groups yeah they all said it um, but they're all the groups which have always had a really tight dynamic. And if I could if I could bottle that, mm-hmm. I would spray it over every group we yeah. had. But and I still haven't quite worked out what makes that. I think you've got to have an equal amount of you've got you've got to have one or two slightly more mature people in it, mm-hmm. be that age or mentally. Because so, they're the leaders. Yeah. They're, they're, they're the mummy and daddy or whatever. But in the same breath, you've got to have A number of good theory, because not. it's very rare you come across a brilliant all-rounder. Yep. They're either really good at the theory and they love it and at the expense of their practical and vice versa. There's this weird mindset we get in this country and I fell into it when I was an apprentice myself where you're good at one thing and you struggle with the other. So rather than deal with the bit you struggle with, because that's the bit you you double down on the stuff because you enjoy it, Mm -hmm. which you're good at, thinking that's going to take you through. Well, it doesn't work like that. It's it's a 50-50 exam. You've got to pass both parts. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you've got a mix of good theoricians, good practical people, you can have some drifters in that, but they'll drag each other along. And, you know, those groups who will also have fun mm-hmm. they'll socialize together you have to
0: have that mm-hmm.
1: you know it's um i mean i remember we had one group in fact they sat their exams they were our first lot they should have sat their exams in the may in the covid year and obviously the exams got cancelled so that was quite traumatic for them so they've spent four years no one knew what was happening and then they they put on an exam for them i think it was in the september time and they worked very hard, but they were they were a good group. It was like they'd come into college, and any break time or lunchtime, they didn't all just drift off in their own separate way. They'd be at the back of the forge with a cricket bat and a ball, <laughs> just playing catch. Yeah. Which I've never known a group do that before, but every time. And it's like huh. and I remember the day before the theory exam, um, um, I can remember it was stressing Alan out because. He wanted to do some last-minute revision. If you don't know it, the afternoon before the exam, you're never going to know it. Exactly, yeah. But he, he really wanted to enforce some last-minute revision on him, and he got really, really frustrated because all they wanted to do was play like catch cricket? in the car park.
0: Uh,
1: and, but that's what they needed to do. They needed yeah. to chill out. If we don't yeah. know it now, we are not going to know it. And exactly. every single one of that group, and again, there was good, bad, there was weak, there was strong, good theory, good practical, every single one passed first time. Mm,
0: that's awesome.
1: And it's just, yeah. But, you know, I just wish every group could be like mm. that. I think I've got if, it in play now. I think there's two groups which are definitely like that. There's some which there's a lot of good qualities in there, and they all will get there. And then there's a few where, mainly the smaller groups, because that dynamic changes, it doesn't take a lot of bad apples to pull the rest of that group down. Yeah, it's only,
0: if you have negative Nellies, like, yeah. Yeah, you only need one or two to pull the whole ship down yeah
1: but i think mean, it's interesting i mean we could probably talk for hours and we have really over this last week but we're gonna have to get you to scotland in a minute um one thing before we finish just want to say thank you because obviously this is the first podcast i've done for quite a while the main reason it kind of came to ground in halt was last winter i mean some of my friends already know but last winter um, i just took on way way too much completely burnt myself out and when that happens one of the i mean I, i've not been depressed or it's not a mental health thing or anything like <laughs> that but i don't know because you when you put yourself on that on on the kind of um pedestal and you're all involved in the industry and you end up with a lot of negativity not from individuals but you you you're on committees and you're having to deal with like the negative side of Farri and all that. Mm. And it started to really kind of, I don't know, it just made me quite negative about Farry And actually, spending the last week driving around with you, be it teaching or shoeing, and having very positive conversations about what we do and having someone else just go, that's great. You know, it's made a massive difference. And I've got to say, you've relit my fire. Cool. So it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. I do hope you enjoy Scotland and the rest of your stay here. Well, and I look forward to seeing you again at Focus.
0: Yes, it's going to be great. Thank you, Danny. I this has been something I've been looking forward to um, being here, being at the school, and seeing how you guys do things. It's it's where my passion's at, and um, same to you. One of the reasons I'm I'm here in the UK is to look for and find people who I can put in my mentor in my in my group that can push me, and um, I hope I can put you in that in that group, and hopefully.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll let you in. All <laughs> That's right, fine. thanks, thanks. <you>?